Turn in your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 6. Looking at the last portion of this letter to the Ephesians this morning, beginning at verse 10 to the end of the book. It's kind of exciting to uh, finally get done, you know. But uh, at the same time, uh, the end of the book is, is an extremely important part of the book. And I feel like uh, as we get to it that I, I look out at some of you and you, you look like you're down. I wonder if that is, this text is part of the reason. And I, I hope you'll give me your attention. This passage is extremely important for your your everyday living. Let me read it to you. Ephesians 6, beginning at verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist. And in the evil day, and having done everything to stand firm, stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, in addition to all, taking up the shield of faith, with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one, and take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit, and with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints." And pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains and in proclaiming it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. But that you also may know about my circumstances how I am doing. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will make everything known to you. I've sent him to you for this very purpose so that you may know about us and that he may comfort your hearts. Peace be to the brethren and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus with incorruptible love. One thing's clear from that passage. The church has an enemy. You and I have an enemy. And we need to be aware of our enemy. He's called Satan. He's called the devil. He is, in fact, our enemy. Good for him, bad for us. We have we are often treating him as though he's make-believe, as though he doesn't exist. We fictitiously put a pitchfork in his hand and horns on his head, and we laugh at those who dress up that way. It's like we've taken on the world's idea of 
a make-believe enemy, that Satan. But he's not make-believe at all. Um, he truly exists, which is why he's in the pages of Scripture, why we are warned about him. We need to be aware of him. It, 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 it amazes me that we believe in so many things that we can't see. For example, um, you haven't seen it this week, but you've used it this week, and you believe in it. It's this thing called microwaves. Have you ever seen a microwave? I'm not talking about, I'm talking about the actual wave. Or radio waves. Or wireless internet. Or germs that are floating out of my mouth right now. We believe in things that we can't see. So why is it we don't believe in Satan just because you can't see him? He exists and he's real. But many times because we can't see him, we live as though and act as though he's non-existent. As though he doesn't matter. As though he's not a factor. Jesus said in the parable of the souls, he said when a preacher preaches the word of God, it falls on, it's like a seed that's planted. And that seed, the word of God, comes to people, and sometimes it's planted on, say, rocky soil, it says it doesn't do much there, or it's planted in thorns, choke it out. But in the midst of that parable, he says, there's times it's actually planted in a person, and Satan snatches it away. So every time I'm bringing you the Word of God, Satan is real, and there are people in this room that won't hear it this morning. You won't hold on to it. You won't do anything with it because Satan is actively snatching the Word back. It's like I'm trying to plant the seed, and Satan's picking it up and taking it back. We must be aware of his schemes to do such, to take us away from Christ. He would love nothing more than to destroy the church of God. Um, if there's no devil, why do we fear hell? If, why do we need a Savior? Why do we need a God if there's not some enemy force that has brought about death and destruction? And all that's else. Uh, Colossians 1, verse 13 and 14 says, He rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. I have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness. I was born into a kingdom that is dark. We're all under the power of sin and the wrath of God. We're children of wrath. That's the way we're born. But Christ in Ephesians, we dealt with that in Ephesians 2, being made alive together with Christ, we're transferred out of the kingdom of Satan. We're transferred out of the kingdom of darkness and brought into the kingdom of light, into the kingdom of Christ. So don't forget where you came from. I was talking to a non-Christian the, the other day. I was, I was telling him, I said, I, said, I know where you're, where you're coming from. I was there. I haven't always been a believer in Christ. I was in your dark place. I was under the bondage of sin, under the power of the devil. I get it. 
But I've been transferred out of that kingdom, out of that dark place, out from under that power. You need to get that. It's so much better to be in the kingdom of Christ than in the kingdom of the evil one who is Satan. And, you know, because of Christ, we have great power now. Let me just share a couple of verses real quick. James chapter 4, verse 7 says, Submit, therefore, to God. So if you haven't done that yet, do so. Submit, therefore, to God. Then you'll have power to resist the devil. And he will flee from you. Man, it's awesome. Satan has to run as I resist him. And I have power to do so now. Uh, look at 1 Peter chapter 5, 8 and 9. It says, be sober in spirit. Be on your alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. But resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. We've got power to deal with our foe. Now, you've probably seen some bad things happen in your life, as I have, that did, some things that just confuse me and bother me at times. I had a friend, you may have had a friend that's committed suicide. I had a friend who was strong in the Lord. He was always talking about the Lord, always wanted to pray with you, always wanted to do Bible study, always wanted to witness. He's one of these people that just puts you to shame because of his practical obedience. His name was Stan. One day, Stan put the pistol to his head and pulled the trigger. And I, I'm still bewildered. It bothered me. It confused me. This is the wrong person to do this. And then I've seen preachers like myself, but unlike myself, they were much smarter. They were much more effective. They were much more knowledgeable in doctrine and in practice and see their whole ministry wiped out and ruined by a moral sin. And I'm thinking, that wasn't supposed to happen. How, how did that occur? Could it possibly be that these kinds of things, what we're seeing is spiritual warfare, and we're seeing casualties in that warfare. We're seeing wounded warriors. We're seeing Satan attack some of our best. Because he wants to bring them down. And these are men or women who haven't fully put on the armor of God. So Ephesians 16 is extremely practical. I don't want you, any of you, to be a casualty of war. I want all of Christ's warriors to come home unscathed by the enemy. So... Pay attention to the, the instruction Christ has given to us here in Ephesians. He tells us the armor plan. He tells us the actual pieces of armor we're to put on. He follows it up with prayer and shows us how to participate. So let me, let me break it down for you. Ephesians 6, verse 10 and thir through 13. Just the plan uh, that he gives to us here. Realize these are his final words to the Ephesians. He's basically saying, before I leave you, and I'm leaving you in the world, and I don't want you to be swallowed up in the world. 
you're going to have a tough time in society, living this life. It's not going to be easy. So finally, this is what I have for you. Verse 10, I want you to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Notice, he's not asking us to be strong in ourselves. He's not just telling us to man up. I want you to be strong in the Lord, in the strength of his might. So he's basically saying, I want you to put on Christ's strength. You remember John 15, 5, we can do nothing apart from Christ. Unless we abide in him, we can do nothing. We need to be in the Lord. Or you remember the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 12 where he said, even in my weakness, I am strong because God's grace is sufficient. Be strong in the Lord, meaning even in your weakness, you can be strong if you're in the Lord. If you're abiding in the Lord, you receive the grace of the Lord. There is strength. There is power in Christ, real power. There's grace in God, real grace, that enables us to stand strong. Just remember that. Start with that. We go from grace to grace, from strength to strength. We need to, to hold on to that. Be strong in the Lord, in the strength of His might. Um, we're not going to be able to stand against the evil one, the enemy, in our might, in our strength. He's, he's greater than us. He's bigger than us. He's more powerful than us. In Christ, we're more than conquerors. But we must be in Christ, in His strength, in His power, in His might. Uh, and he's able and willing to help. Look at verse 11. Put on the full armor of God. He's going to tell us what that full armor is in just a minute. But he's kind of setting the stage. We need to put this stuff on. The full armor of God so that we will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the evil one. Now, why is that necessary? Because Satan doesn't fight fair. He's a cheater. He's a liar. He's a deceiver. He is stealth. He has schemes. He's tricky. He says, you, you've got to put on the full armor so that you can stand firm against the schemes of the devil. This is necessary. You can't wait to, and see it coming. You, you've got to be ready. Um, Satan disguises himself constantly. He tells us that we can have good things by doing bad things constantly. He's constantly encouraging us to believe falsehood as though it was truth. He loves to teach the doctrines of men as though they were the doctrines of God. He disguises himself as an angel of light and yet he is the prince of darkness. So you got to get this. If you're waiting for a fair fight, you're not going to get one. He's much smarter than that. He's very deceptive, very tricky. He's a schemer. He comes with a plan to take us down. When you realize that, it heightens the importance of waking up and putting on your armor, the full armor of God that you can stand firm against him uh, verse uh, 12 our struggle is is not against flesh and blood 
but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. What does that verse say to you? To me, it, it, it screams urgency. You've got to get this. And you, you've got to see this is urgent. It's absolutely necessary. Satan is coming. He's not just a schemer. He's not just coming. He's here. And he's not just a schemer, but he's spiritual. And he has rulers and forces and powers that are wicked. Um, he's not describing there in verse 12 Satan as, as one that's like us at all. You know, if you told me, David, get ready. Uh, there's somebody that's going to come to your office or your house tomorrow. And he's going to be looking for a fight. And I might think, it's all right, I can take him. You know, what does he look like? How much does he weigh? How big is he? How old is he? How fast is he? You know, I might can take that. If I can't, I'll load the gun, you know? Or I'll bring Timothy to help, you know? <laughs> I can take him if, he's, if it's man against man. We, we size up our enemy. You remember when the, when the Israelites were fighting the Philistines. And they said, we can take them. And so you, you have a number of battles in the Old Testament where the Israelites are fighting the Philistines. They, they win sometimes, the Philistines win sometimes. But they keep going into battle against one another because they have this conviction, we can take them. Until one day, this, this giant shows up. Nine feet tall. You know, 12 fingers, 12 toes. He doesn't just have a sword. He has this metal iron object that looks like a weaver's beam. And when this nine-foot giant stands up, nobody wants to go to battle. It's like, whoa, uh-uh, not me. The foe just got too big. The size of your foe matters. And that's why I say Ephesians 6, 12, it screams urgency because the size of our foe is bigger than us. And he's not alone. He's got these spiritual forces in heavenly places. He's got an angelic host of soldiers that are coming against you. What are you going to do? I mean, that's where we should all be saying, whoa, whoa, I can't, I can't. I can't handle this kind of attack. And God says, exactly, that's what I'm trying to say. Be strong in the Lord, in his might. You will not handle this on your own. You will not rail against the devil and come out winning. You will not attack him by yourself and ever win. You must be in Christ, in his strength, in his might, or, or you're conceding defeat. You're going to lose. That's what he's saying. This is an urgent message that you must put on the armor of God. Or you've given up. There will be no truce. And you will lose without the armor of Christ. Okay, so, so what is it? How do I put it on? And he starts telling us. First thing he tells us to do, verse 14, after he's kind of, or verse 12, 
It's even back in verse 11. Is the first thing is to stand. To stand firm. Notice the emphasis. Last part of verse 11. Stand firm against the devil. Verse 13. Resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Verse 14. Stand firm therefore. There's an emphasis. He's not telling you to act like a wall. A brick wall. Just put up the barricade. No. The emphasis is showing activity. This is something we must do. This is something we need to be active in doing. This standing is, is, is more a term to show alertness. You're not asleep. You're not laying down. You're not sitting down. You're up and ready for battle. That's what it means. To stand firm. It, it's, uh, to use a basketball analogy, you're always screaming to the players, Hands up! Hands up! Hands up! They're coming, and I want you ready. That's the way he's using this term. We need to stand firm. We need to be alert. We need to be ready for what's happening on a daily basis, and that's Satan's attack against God's people. Stand firm. Be ready for it so that you can uh, handle the, the devil and his foes. Second. He says, girded with truth, verse 14. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth. Uh, girding is, you know, somehow you're cinching up, you're pulling up. In the old days, men would wear, you know, a robe of some sort, I guess before they invented uh, pants. And they would gird that up with a belt so that they could run, they would not stumble, they wouldn't fall. They would tie up any loose clothing. And here he's saying not only do you need to, to put this belt around you so you're ready for battle, but it needs to be a belt of truth, girded with truth. Why? Because one of Satan's primary schemes is to twist the truth of God just a little bit. So you need to be girded with truth. You need to have truth tied about you. You need to be aware of God's word and what he says so that you can fight it. Think about Adam and Eve. Sin in the Garden of Eden. Who's there? Satan is there. Their adversary, the devil. Our adversary, the devil. And how could they have defeated the enemy? They could have defeated him with just a little truth. All they needed was truth. Satan comes and he says, has God Said? Really? And they're starting to debate. Had they been girded with truth, there's no debate. Yes, God said, we will stand firm on what God has said. But because they were not girded with truth, they lost that battle. And we suffer as a result. How about Jesus? After his 40 days of temptation in the wilderness, he comes out and he meet, meets his adversary. How does he defeat him? Three times, three temptations. All three, he defeats the enemy with truth. Satan says one thing, God, Jesus says, but God's word says. And with truth, he is able to deal with his adversary. You see, it's no mistake at all in Deuteronomy 6 when it tells each of us who are parents, take the truth of God, take the truth that there's one God and one God only, and take the Ten Commandments, beginning with the First Commandment, you have no other gods uh, before you, 
And you take these, these truths and you bind them on your forehead and you bind them on your wrist and you put them over your doorpost and you talk about them when you sit down and you talk about them when you rise up and you talk about them when you go back and forth. What you do is you gird your kids with truth because spiritual warfare is real. It's inevitable. One of the reasons I am so committed to Christian education and to discipleship classes is because your devil, your adversary, prowls about. And one of your primary defenses is that you're girded with truth. God says, from the Old Testament on, we need to be doing this. This is very practical. Your kids, you don't want to send them into the world against the devil until they're girded. Properly clothed with the truth of God. Or they will not stand. I want them to stand strong in the might of the Lord. So, stand. Gird with truth. Number three, breastplate of righteousness. Put on the breastplate, verse 14, of righteousness. Now I know, without a doubt, our only hope to stand before God in heaven is to stand in the righteousness of Christ. But I don't think that's what it's talking about here. I think we need the righteousness of Christ to stand in judgment. I think there's no hope, and it's clear, there's no hope that we will be saved without the righteousness of Christ. You should put on the righteousness of Christ, Galatians talks about. You should be clothed in the righteous garments of Christ. Yes, we believe in substitutionary atonement. Yes, we believe that the righteousness of Christ is essential. Without it, there's no hope of salvation. But this breastplate of righteousness... First of all, a breastplate. A shot to the chest is usually deadly. It's usually deadly. If it doesn't reach your heart, it reaches something that bleeds a lot and you bleed out and you die. So you need a, this is like a bulletproof vest. You need this breastplate of righteousness. And I think it's talking here about really just practical obedience. In other words, if you're not living in righteousness, if you're not keeping the commands of God, then you're living in sin. If you're living in sin, you've already lost the battle. Satan has you. If you're going to stand strong in the Lord, you must, want, and then you're girded with truth, you must walk in that truth. Put on this, this breastplate. In other words, fill your chest, cover your chest in practical obedience that will thwart his attacks because he sees you are followed. You're not just a, a, a one who speaks or talks the talk. You walk the walk. If you intend to be victorious, we must walk the walk. And that walk the walk is a breastplate of righteousness. Obey. More immorality is a defeat. We need to stray and we need to stay close to the Word of God and cover ourselves in God's law. Number four, gospel footwear. Verse 15 says, um, verse, yeah, verse 15, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. So our feet must in some way have the gospel and it's a preparation that we're able to share. We're prepared to share the gospel of peace. Uh, footwear for any soldier is just 
is, is something that enables them to keep from stumbling. It enables them to, to move swiftly. It's, it enables them to go long distances. That's good footwear. He says, your footwear should be the gospel. And the gospel will enable you to promote peace and not war. You need that, that, that gospel. It's, it's like uh, you, put on, you put on shoes so that you can step into it. I want to step into the battle. I want to be able to attack. I want to be able to run. I want to be able to go the distance. Um, look at Colossians 3. I think here's a practical illustration of it. Colossians 3, beginning at verse 2. Not what I want, but I mean, that's a great passage. I was sitting there reading it. But I want Colossians 4. Colossians 4, beginning at verse 2. Devote yourselves to prayer. Keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving, praying at the same time for us as well that God will open to us a door for the word. So imagine between you and me is a door, and I want my feet shod with the gospel so I can step through it. As, as Satan is bound and the door opens up so I can share the word of truth, I want to be able to step through that. And he goes on to describe that. The door for the word, so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ. That's the gospel. For which I have also been imprisoned, that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. Conduct yourselves with wisdom towards outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. Again, step into the opportunity. Let your speech always be with grace, as though seasoned with salt, so that you will know how you should respond to each person. So that's gospel preparation. When, when you get an opportunity, you can step into it. You've, your, your feet are ready for the journey that God has for you and for the opportunities he's put in your faith. You don't have to, to run and hide. Number six, uh, five, shield of faith. Shield of faith back in Ephesians 6, um, verse 16. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. You know, in the old days, they would hold a shield as the bow and arrows were, or the arrows were flung at them. You know, um, any of you who bow hunted, you shoot an arrow, you can watch the arrow. Arrows do not go as fast as bullets. And so you can see them coming, and if they're far away, they, they float towards you. You can pull up a shield, and you can deal with those arrows. That's what he said. I want you to have this shield, and it's a shield of faith. It's, it's a shield of believing, just believing what God has taught us. One of the things that he's taught us in this passage is that he's real, that Satan's real. If we hold up that shield of that faith, that believing that God matters, God's word matters. God's ways matter. Then we're able to conquer the evil one because the evil one's always trying to say, God doesn't really matter. You can just ignore God. It'll be okay. And we need to say, no, 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 no. I believe. I believe. I believe being in church. I believe corporate worship matters to God. It doesn't just matter to me. It does matter. I believe that. And so when Satan tempts me... <coughs> Yeah, don't go to church. Don't worry about the people. They'll be okay. No, 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 I believe. Hold up the shield of faith. Satan's constantly trying to get us away from the faith. 
we hold up that shield and say, no, I believe. So it's, 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 it's one of those things that's just going to extinguish his attacks, his faith in God and his word. I'm, I'm constantly asking myself, this is the way I, I deal with it, is when I walk into a conversation, walk into a show, walk into you know, an arena or an event, I often ask myself, where is God in this picture? Where is God in this conversation? Where is God in this relationship? Because I believe God is there. I believe God matters. If in the course of that exploration, I say, I don't see God in the picture. I don't hear God in the conversation. See, that, that bothers me. Somebody needs to, in this situation, needs to believe. Hold the shield of faith. We're missing something here. We're missing the God part. And if we miss the God part, the arrows come straight in. We need to always be holding the shield of faith. That we are believers in God, His word, His ways. He's on His throne and that matters. All right, where was that? Shield of faith, five. Number six, helmet of salvation, verse 17. Take the helmet of salvation and, with, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Sorry, the helmet of salvation, just as a shot to the chest is usually deadly, a shot to the head is too, so we need a helmet. And the helmet he's telling us to put on is that helmet of salvation, that I am saved, I am redeemed, I am more than conqueror in Christ. I need to always be remembering whose I am. I've been bought with a price. I've been redeemed. I'm on the Lord's side. Those who belong to the Lord are victorious. So the battle's won. I just, I need to keep that in my thinking. I need to keep that on my head. That all I have to do is be the believer God has made me to be. And that's resisting the devil and he must flee. I must keep the helmet of salvation. I belong to him. I surrender to him. I submit to him. Satan, I don't care what you say. I do not go your way. I go his way. I am redeemed. I've been bought with a price. My body is not my own anymore. I am a bondservant of Christ. So keep that mindset, that helmet on. Uh, number seven, the sword of the Spirit in verse 17, which is the Word of God. A lot of commentators say this is the only offensive weapon in the passage. I don't agree with that. I think everything I've been telling you is very offensive to Satan. I think everything has a very active and practical element to it. But the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, is certainly offensive. It's not defense. We are attacking Satan when he attacks us. But God doesn't tell us we have to spend our life running around looking for Satan to attack. He's looking for us. We don't have to go after him. Uh, he's coming. We need to be very active, though. And one of the primary ways we can stick it to him is, again, girded with truth, having the word of God. It's, it's a sword. It is effective. Uh, the word of God uh, puts the enemy to flight. I love this description of the younger men in the church. Um, it's, uh, I think it's 1 Timothy chapter 2. That must be 2 Timothy. Chapter 2. Um, all right. Did I put it on you, you version? Y'all can help me out. Uh, no, it's, it's not Timothy at all. It's 1 John. That's why I'm looking, having a struggle with it. 1 John. Chapter 2, I love this description. It talks about old men and then it talks about young men. And the, the description of, of the young men is just so encouraging. Uh, 
First John chapter 2, verse 14 says, I've written to you, fathers, because you know him, who has been from the beginning. I've written to you, young men, here it is, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you've overcome the evil one. Catch that. I'm writing to you, old men, you fathers of the faith, fathers in the church, because you've been there and you've done that. You know him. You have been filled with his truth, his word. It's just clear. You have overcome through him. But I'm also writing to you, young men, because I see it happening. You're so strong. And the new generation is coming up in the church because your strength is through your ability to abide in the Word. And as you abide, as you're strong in the Word of God, the evil one flees. And the church grows. I mean, that, that, that just so encouraging. It pumps me up when I, I see the next generation taking up the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, and being strong in battle. And John was so encouraged by that too. He said, man, this is cool. This church is going to make it. Because there's young men who know the Word of God, and they know how to use it, and they're directing their lives according to the Word of God. And they're emerging as new leaders for the congregation. So as the fathers pass on, they said, we won't suffer because new ones are being raised up that know how to use the word. That's the sword of the spirit. That's the armor that God gives us. Now, so after you've got standing, you're girded with truth, breastplate of righteousness, gospel footwear, shield of faith, helmet of salvation, sword of the spirit, then he adds to all of that. He, the thought clearly continues, verse 18, with all, so it's no break in the action here. Verse 18, with all prayer. So though I've given you seven pieces of armor, I think he's adding an eighth. But he's adding this eighth piece and making it prominent by spending three verses on it. Um, notice the emphasis. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance. And again, pray and petition for all the saints. Notice the emphasis on all. You can't miss it. I want you to pray, not just some prayers, all prayer and all petition and all the time for all the saints. I mean, that's, that's strong. With, as, as Satan runs like mad, I want you to pray like mad. All the time. In every way. For every person, don't stop this prayer. It's crucial to the battle. I mean, he's, he puts strong, strong emphasis, and then he, he keeps moving, verse 19, and pray on my behalf, the preacher, that utterances may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel for which I'm an ambassador in chains and in proclaiming, I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. There's an emphasis there of preachers being bold and speaking boldly. And he says, and I don't get to do that if you don't pray. 
pray for me. Pray not only for me, pray for everyone in the room, all the saints. And don't just pray one prayer, but pray all the time. And in every way you can possibly imagine to pray, use all prayers. You know, what would happen if we prayed that God would take the blinders off our neighbor's eyes? That God would let the word rest on their heart and not let Satan snatch it back? What if we prayed that our kids would really get it and be alert to it as it's proclaimed and preached? What would happen if we really prayed all the time, all the ways, for all the saints? Would we not stand strong in the armor of Christ? That's what I'm talking about. Sometimes I, Spurgeon used to say, Spurgeon, why are you the most effective preacher of your day? And he would always point to his people. He says, because they pray. Because they pray. I'm just a preacher. But if the door's not open, if Satan's not removed, I'm not going anywhere. I will not be effective. Prayer is an essential part of this battle strategy and this battle strategy requires all the soldiers praying all the time for everyone that's in the battle and especially for the preacher that's proclaiming the truth and giving the direction pray what would happen if we really prayed as he's describing and then he finishes up verse 21 and following with community stuff or participants if you want to keep the alliteration going armor and participants he says but that you also may know that my circumstances how I am doing Tychicus the beloved brother my faithful minister in the Lord will make it known to you and everything and I've sent him to you for that purpose so that you may know about us and that he may comfort your hearts I think what he's saying there is I know you're battling, you know I'm battling, hopefully we're putting on the full armor of God, we're praying for one another, but we still will not stand in battle unless somebody has our back. Tychicus has your back. I'm sending him to encourage you, to let you know through him, we got your back. And he has communicated to me that you have my back. We, just as Satan does not fight alone, we can't fight alone. We need community. We need to participate together. We need to have each other's back. We need to encourage one another. I can't tell you the number of times, many, many, many times, and you, some of you don't even know it, but you've come to me in this room to just say thank you. I appreciate what you had to say, that, that minister to me. Or you've come to give me a hug. Or you've come to give me a kiss on the cheek. Or you've come just to pray. And we do that for one another. And I want you to sense the value of that. Because you don't know the number of times I was this close to being a casualty in war. 
and that hug picked me back up or that prayer saw me through or that encouraging appreciation gave me all I needed to go one more time. And we're like that. When you talk to a brother or sister in this room, there's so many of us that are that close to just feel like I can't take it anymore. This sickness, this illness, this emotional weakness, this depression, this physical pain. I'm, God, I've had enough. And then a brother gives you a hug. Says, I'm praying for you. And that's enough that we can go on. Or God has sent one fellow soldier in the battle to give you a hand. That's how he's ending this. It's beautiful to see the, the love in community between pastor and church, church and pastor and church together that he describes for us here. And then he ends in verse 23. I just love it. The benediction is peace. What's he talking about? He's talking about war. But why do you fight wars? You fight wars so that you can have peace. And so he finishes this passage by saying, and that's what I want. I want the victory of, of peace to the brethren and love. That's what you want. You want peace so that you can love one another with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ and grace. It all ends up on being receiving the grace of God and it's for all those who love our Lord Jesus with incorruptible love. Powerful. If you take all of Ephesians, I took the time this morning to start back now at chapter 1, verse 1, and take you through to chapter 6. Think about the flow. Think about what would go through your mind. Has, is Satan attacking you in chapter 1 over the sovereignty and divine election of God and the love of God for his people? Does Satan sometimes play with you on those subjects? Does he deal with you in chapter 2 on your deadness to sin and bondage to the evil one, your, nest, your need for being made alive in Christ, that you're God's workmanship, that he's really got some stuff for you to do, that you're not divided, you're united with the people of God, every nation, tribe, and tongue, that you do have a wonderful ministry as the church, chapter 3 that we have the mysteries of the gospel given to us of all people and how wonderful that is. So in chapter 4, we should be unified. We should, each one of us, be doing our gifts and having ministry. And that involves uniquenesses and gender differences and roles of men and roles of women. And that gets us to marriage and the, the compliments of men and women in marriage and submission to one another and submission to, in the home before our parents and submission in the workplace. He's led us through all of these things in the book of Ephesians. And as you, you get through that... Is Satan trying to take you away from that? Is try, Satan trying to snatch you from that truth? Brethren, stand strong. These truths are absolutely essential. Gird yourself with the truth. Hold the truth. Use the truth. Fight the good fight. Put on the whole 
armor of God. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the word of God before us. Help us to realize week to week it can go forth and accomplish absolutely nothing if we're not putting on the armor of God. Parents can speak it and kids never get it without the full armor of God. School teachers can teach it and it will bear no fruit without the armor of God. Father, make the church strong. Help us to see our warfare. Help us to see our adversary, even though he's invisible. Help us to see those forces that come against us and return us to your word and your truth to stand firm and to stand strong. Father, for those soldiers among us who've been fighting, who are exhausted, who are weary, who are down, let us give them retreat. Let us give them rest in the Sabbath, in Christ, in the body of Christ. Let us give them encouragement. Let us give them love. Let us give them a kiss on the cheek. Let us hold their hands and encourage and build up. Father, we ask that you would continue to move New Covenant Church family forward in might, in strength, in grace, in love. That you would be lifted up and glorified and exalted in this place and wherever our sphere of influence takes us. We pray for your glory. We pray for your battle to be won and your victory to be declared. We ask all these things, O oh Lord, in Jesus' name, amen.